Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're showing you how we build a campaign to get characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that your table is different from ours, so feel free to use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We're expecting a well-rounded party, so we're designing encounters for the following five general archetypes. A warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and an outdoorsman. We now have a level 3 party and they're just getting into a strange city with no bearings and enemies in hiding. Let's get to building. So Adam, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Oh shit, are we? I've been playing Risk this whole time. Oh no. Well, see, see, that's that's part of the problem because... Risk is just real world. It's boring. It's bland. I mean, you could have fun, fun little locations in Russia or Africa, but in D&D, you got to have the fantastical locations, right? Yes, you absolutely need to. Look, if you're playing in a fantasy setting, why wouldn't you? This is the opportunity for you, for you to blow shit way up, right? Like get crazy with it, get fantastical. It's what people want to see. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you f go to the library and you go find any sort of fantasy novel, go to the fantasy section, pull a random book off the shelf and look at the cover, you're either going to have an edgelord standing in a rainy street somewhere with some sort of magical effect around him, or, like the cover I want you to look at, there's a floating island or a large forest with a beautiful mountain in the background, right? Like, these, these are... Uh, this, this sprawling cityscape that makes no engineering sense, but it's a fantasy game, so go with it. We, you need to have these things in your games. It, it's part of the world. It's part of D&D. It's, it's kind of what we're all expecting, and it's a lot of fun to build these things. It's not enough to simply have a tower attached to a castle anymore. That's medieval. Yeah, I mean, you need you need to have, like, sparks of electricity coming out of it, or... Or magical runes, like, covering the surface. Maybe a hum of magical energy. Like, there needs to be some sort of fantasy to this to really get and establish the feel of a high magic fantasy campaign, like the one we're doing for ours. People always talk about floating castles and, you know, the, the tower window with explosions coming in and gnome giggling. And you gotta really think weird. Think about the natural state of things. Think about towers growing out of the tops of trees at, like bizarre 70 degree angles think about breaking the laws of physics waterfalls that flow upward right as long as there's a general reason or mentality or logic to it there are all sorts of really really fucking cool things have a blizzard that never stops for one square mile exactly in the middle of a desert there's no rhyme or reason for that in reality, but your players and you as DMs, you are going to want to see these cool, fantastical things. That's why we have this this gigantic, um, jingling city in the middle of essentially the Grand Canyon. Do we want to cover what the jingling city is just to kind of refresh people's uh, memory of this thing? Right. Okay. So what we created was a, a Grand Canyon, a, a gorge in the middle of the desert. It's kind of hard pack around the area, but there's definitely sand that blows around. Um, I would say that even the gorge maybe uh, has little inclines all the way around the edges just to, so that sand isn't always, you know, falling in. Yep. But uh, but I like the idea of it being almost like a like a, something had exploded out of here. Maybe this was the resting place of the Tarrasque way back when. 
right? But here it is, and it's it's shady to keep people from the heat in the in the summer. So everybody like in the bottom of of this area has like winter clothes because at night it is cold and in the day it's moderately warm, right? It's not the blasting heat of the day. It never gets the direct sunlight down here. But there are all of these tunnels and caves and alcoves all through the the walls of this area with all these bridges hanging back and forth and they're rope bridges but i mean they've got chains on them and people have been hanging wind chimes and bells and stuff off of these bridges so there's this consistent jingling that happens anytime someone walks or there's a strong enough breeze that goes by and so we have this really cool interesting um noisy city you can hear it before you see it and the desert Mm -hmm. around it would not show any inkling of this happening but I also think that it's deep enough. We talked about there being maybe some sort of stream or river in the bottom of it. Um, and so there's vegetation down here. And the civilization is kind of burrowed into the sides. But there are structures in the bottom of this gorge as well. Like, it's it's large. It's big. There are there are houses and buildings. Some of them are, are burrowed out. Some of them are made out of uh, sandstone and brick. Some of them are made out of wood and supplies that have come from other places. It never really gets cold. We said that there's a bit of like a weird rainy season and sometimes maybe it floods. And yep. so things are a little bit more mobile down here and it's never the same twice from year to year when you, when you come by. Um, but it's a bustling hub of many people swarming and, and swirling and crawling around almost like insects uh, with the sheer number of them uh, in this, like it's, it's a hub. It's a major waypoint. It is the... Yeah first city outside of this massive country-sized capital city that's a few days travel away right so it's rich it's rich in not just money but in in culture and custom and it is not the little waypoint town of sandspit where we're from and it's not just you know beside or nearby a crossroads this is uh, the road comes through here it goes to the edge of the of the cliff and you can either go down or you can go around it and keep on heading to the capital city but like here it is this is our our sunken city that is still bustling it is still full of people there's a huge population in here and it's it's interesting because you're going to get lots of walks of life in here too. You're going to see Arakakura flying from one bridge to another, right? You're going to yeah. see uh, Kenku scaling up and down uh, ropes from one bridge to another. There's going to be lizard folk caravans and things. This is going to be a lot of your Volo's Guide to Monster races in here. A lot of your weirder stuff um, and a lot of misfits that don't like the city, the capital, but they don't really want to be out in the wilderness either. Yeah, I mean, you are going to be really filling this place up, making it look and sound and feel as fantastical as possible, because this is kind of where worlds collide. It's it is not just a hub, but it's the it's the only place within miles that's even borderline hospitable because you're in a desert otherwise. Like this, this is going to have refugees. This is going to have people from all walks of life and and. This is kind of important around the level three point to bring in because you're really reinforcing the fact that the world is fantastical. The world is unique and interesting and has a heartbeat to it. And in insofar as like the country where of desert that we are building our campaign around right now, this is going to be the heartbeat of the local economy. And now here your party is arrested on the inside of it, at least if you're following our campaign. 
and for the first time really gets a look at what a large city in this fantastical world is like. So, Adam, I, I love the idea of these really, really cool, interesting campaign building, uh, a campaign influencing fantastical features uh, and, and cities inside of our uh, world. Um, I do want to have a discussion. Maybe we could brainstorm a couple other interesting ones that people could use in there. So um, I just kind of want to know what are a couple new and unique features that are in this setting that we have in this gorge-like city. All right. I have my guy. I got a five. Oh, yeah, I got a ten. I I win. All right. So one of the things that I I really like about this is... um, is the idea that there is consistent shifting in history and it's a unique location. When you create a fantastical location, you have to think what is going to be different in the day-to-day mundane things um, and the way that people live their lives. What's going to be a challenge and how are people going to overcome that challenge, right? So um, the very first thing that I came up with is the idea that it floods and it doesn't just flood a little bit. It floods badly because there's nowhere for the water to go. And so I like the idea of there being people that are constantly digging wells and they call them dry wells and there are dry wells absolutely everywhere. And they're at the bottom level of the gorge so that when a rainy season or a a rare desert storm comes through, these wells actually fill up with water first and it doesn't flood the city. They have wet wells already, which is where they're getting their water from, but these are almost like a sewage a drainage pit but but you can't actually have sewers and dig down to drain out into a river if you're already underground and there's no water nearby i like the idea of there being all of these pits everywhere and there are rumors of sometimes things get lost down these pits swept away in floods so you have um, whenever there's a a flood that happens things get washed away and end up down in here and then the sand buries it so there's hidden treasure everywhere underneath the feet of the people moving around For me, what I have is uh, if you look at like the Grand Canyon, not only is it one massive canyon with, um, you know, these incredibly tall vistas pretty much everywhere, um, but there are these isolated almost pillars of limestone and rock that are built up. And I've always loved the idea of having um, this jingling city being a bit of a religious hub. Uh, in the area. So these massive pillars that are going to be, you know, naturally forming pillars or even something has burst out and created these pillars in 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 the middle of the chasms. But these things are the hubs of the individual gods, um, each respecting uh, or each reflecting the attributes of whatever god they represent or, or are the housing to. And, and this is this really interesting idea that um, if you are a worshiper of, you know, this God, you go to this pillar. But what this has done is this has also bred a lot of cults to pop up as well. So there's going to be a lot of heavy cult activity within this uh, town as well, which is going to manifest itself by having full sections of this chasm of this city where um, if you get to know people, they're like, don't go there because the cult of the blank is active there. And if you go there, things are going to end up badly for you. So there's going to be this kind of unspoken horror aspect to the city as well, 
because we're focusing a lot on the religious aspect, especially when, you know, the gods are gone in our campaign. So, yeah. How are the cults reacting to this? Do you think some of them are banding together to, to be, because cults aren't necessarily evil, right? They're just no. small, weird religious mindsets. So they could be trying to get, you know, oh my God, we sinned. This is our punishment. We have to give back to the community or, you know what? We just haven't sacrificed enough babies today. That's it. Yeah. Find me find me more babies. Right? So I think that that's one thing about the Jingling City that we're going to see right away is that there's been some upheaval with these cults as well. But I love the idea of there being weird, fanatical, religious districts that are... They're the worst kept secret in the city. Yeah. Okay, my next one is um, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about, again, the geography of it and what happens down here. Not only will the direct sunlight not hit, but I don't think they get direct moonlight. So it has got to be dark down here. And so I think that at night, one of the things that people will see is that there are lanterns that float like balloons that are held by strings on every one of the bridges and they cast light. And as the wind blows, these lanterns move and shift, but the light never flickers. They're magical lanterns. And you can, for copper pieces, it's so common down here, you can find pebbles and small stones uh, that have had the light cantrip cast upon them permanently. And there hmm. are straight up, like, mages that, um, like, apprentices that have to do their due diligence in order to become a wizard in here, or maybe to be accepted by one of the cults. They have to spend a year casting light on a stone every day. The more stones you do, the more devout you are. And so now cool. there are all of these stones and they sell them for copper pieces. Like as opposed to handing around a, a collections plate, this is how they raise money. And so there are beggars in the streets and robes saying, would you like to buy a stone that can be activated or, or deactivated with a trigger word? And so you have these little lanterns and flashlights and these are cool little items that people can have. Um, and your players may want to may want to get these and take them around with them. It lets you go into the tunnels without worrying about torches, right? Maybe some of these things can be hung off of necklaces. And they, they're only going to give you like five or ten feet, right? This is not a replacement for a torch. But I think that it's a really cool, neat way to think about what the lighting is going to be. And this is what I mean about, about breaking your physics, right? Sit, sit down and say, what's different here? There's flooding. There's darkness it's a, a re relatively dry area and and so how do we how do we deal with these when when the sun and the moon don't hit here but it's not an evil underdark place how do we make this a bustling city and i think that maybe maybe city officials have ones that glow purple and the police have ones that glow blue right and so there are different colored light stones as well and can you imagine this like peering over the side just as as dusk hits and all of these lanterns and stones start to come out. And you can see the city come alive beneath your feet. Cool. So my other one is, I mean, we've established that the uh, the chasm itself is going to be this windy place. And that the bottom floods. Um, and that the city itself is kind of built onto the sides of this chasm as it goes through. And I thought, well, if they're built onto the side of this chasm, there's nothing stopping them from digging into it. So um, I would say that the, the the surface level of the house, uh, the homes, and I got a lot of inspiration from the, you know, the Georgian 
ancient city of Petra in my thoughts here of how this city kind of looks um, with with things kind of just car- homes and domiciles just carved out of the wood uh, out of the um, limestone of the chasm. So I would have them build in and these homes, although on the surface are rather plain looking, just carved out open doorways are extremely large on the inside of uh these um as as they build into the mountains and they're they're long and narrow domiciles that they they live in and i i i love that idea of the colored lights that are inside because i was thinking like well how do they light these things then like how how is their light getting in here it's a dark little chasm there's all this so i was thinking each of these domiciles have these massive bonfires that are just in the middle of these large great rooms and it's where these families come to connect and meet and it's it's like their living room but they have these large central fires that uh fill these these uh rooms to give heat and warmth so at night when the when the sun sets every single little spot along the sides of these uh this cavern wall glows this eerie orange glow that flickers slightly and that would fill out the chasm as well I want to take this a step further, and I want to say that that part of the magic of it um, is that it displaces the smoke, you know, three miles to the east, so that there's consistently smoke that is rising. So you're not filling up these caverns with like noxious fumes, right? But so there's this this constant column of smoke that's three miles to the east, but it shifts and moves with the wind. Maybe the magic isn't precise, but it it displaces the the column, and so. When you get to the column, you know that you're generally close to the jingling city. It's time to stop, yeah. hold your breath, and listen to the sound waves come over the dunes towards you. That'll lead you in. Yeah, for me, I, I was thinking more like the the um, the way that you had these places engineered is. I mean, it's a chasm, right? There's rushing air coming in that middle area that's causing the jingling. That's you know rushing along these bridges and ladders. I would have almost had like that that negative pressure of the wind pulling would pull the smoke out of the places. So it wasn't going to be a big thing that I would consider. Um, But having this like, I don't know, like this almost tornado that circles the city. That is just all of this smoke that's been gathered and just moves around the city. And it's just this constant kind of, uh, it could, it could be a constant thing. So it's kind of the, the, the smoke is to the Southeast. So we know we're at this part of the year because normally there's not a lot of change because you're in a desert and the days are the same length. They're the same uh, size, the, the, the same heat doesn't get hotter or colder. It's just hot all the time. So like this is how they're measuring time passage as well as this thing kind of circling the city. Well, I mean, time does pass in deserts. Like, look, the earth spins, but there, you can absolutely yeah. be right. This is a fantastical realm. You can do whatever you want with it, right? How does time get managed in a fantastical realm as well? And so like, I like the idea of, of their, you being able to follow the calendar based on, on where the smoke is. Um, yeah. I, and I think that's cool. I also think that like, does this thing spit out like lightning elementals every once in a while? It gets too hot or too cold, or like we know that there's a certain time of, of year when the, that noxious smoke turns into, you know, shadow wraiths or something, right? Like I, I would homebrew some sort of monster that, that, you know, in the winter, you don't want to go near that thing. You, you don't know it's winter because it doesn't snow, but, but you know, because it's, you know, to the Northwest. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, I like the idea of there being, 
seasonal militias actually that get oh it's that time of year we can see where the where the smoke is on the horizon therefore we know we have to put all of our our ancestral swords together and head out and slay whatever beasts get spewed out of this thing this time right you can yeah. really play with some neat things here like even if it's um they have uh ash methods or something like that in um yep 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 in the monster manual so like look there's there's a lot of fun options here and if you if you think outside the box all we're doing is talking geography and and how one fantastical setting can be affected by the next logical step and when you have magic go nuts so we have our city it's this religious hub it's this jingling city of bridges and ladders and rope and chain um and homes are built into the side of the rocks and fun and it's this massive hub it's it's huge compared to the little town of Sandspit that our um adventurers have up until this point called home and they have come here after experiencing this kind of lifting up of their egos boons were uh, gifted to them uh with this saving of sandspit and now they're back to almost being nobodies in this town i mean word has traveled word always travels quicker than your party could get uh can travel um unless they're teleporting around which we're level three no they're not doing that well i mean but we did just have a big chase right so maybe they are faster than word yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, Maybe a day or two, but but they are probably ahead of it a little bit. Yep. Either way, their reputation, the the power that they would see uh, gain from that, is now pulled out from under them, and they are back to being just this group of adventurers. So they're going to have to get established again. How easy is that going to be, Adam? It should be difficult at first. They're going to need to find a new base of operations. They'll probably head to the nearest tavern before one of them realizes that there's probably a, a guild house somewhere here for from their guild, right, that they mm-hmm. can go post up in. You get to make a whole whack of new NPCs, which is fun. New people for them to interact with. So there'll be some role-playing opportunities. Um, and they've got to make new relationships. And you're not giving them a new home, but you're giving them more people. These people are not automatically friendly but they may be acquaintances, right? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get a discount with the local potions merchant here because you didn't escort them. You're not going to pay the full price. You get guild prices, but you're not getting the discount that you would before, right? So you're being kind of pushed out and you're slowly removing these these boons, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't remove too much of them. And when the word comes out no. that these guys were the saviors of Sandspit... Maybe reinstate some of their folk hero stuff. Maybe have the sheriff that had interrogated yeah. them come by and apologize. And say, we didn't know. What do you guys need? You're here to, to find Lachlan's lot? We hate those guys. What can we do? Right? We heard a rumor that they're in this area. And so I, I like the idea of the rewards and the boons getting pulled back for a little bit. But even again, when they get when they get released from jail at the beginning of this uh, session because that, that's what we said they're coming in with bags over their heads and they're, we're going to start this whole session off with them being disoriented and not really ha- knowing where where they are we're doing this for a specific reason and that is to illustrate uh, a extreme version of having to explore a city from the ground up like you just appear kicked out of uh, jail in the middle of main street yeah right and you plunk a map down on in front of them and say here's what you're looking at you have no idea what's going on there are bridges and jingling overhead and in the distance above you can see a cliff 
and and on both sides and then sky it's it's got to feel claustrophobic it's different and so because it's so different it's going to take your party a little while to get their bearings if you drag this out beyond a session they're going to start to get frustrated and feels like everything that they've done up until this point has been useless so you're really going to want to you're really want going to want to slowly filter these boons this reputation back onto them and it should it should start making some difference in what they're trying to do which in this case is you know root out Lachlan's lot inside of the town yeah i do want to ask one quick little practical question uh, of you adam um because i've i've only done this a couple times where i've like had the players explore a brand new city and i've started that off with just like handing them a new map and saying here you go a lot of parties that I've experienced, I've been a part of, or I've run, have uh, kind of gotten flustered when I just hand them a map and it's got like a list of places they could go to. Um, and sitting here, I just kind of have the idea, uh, what would you say to having like a, a map of the city, which in our case, there's a vertical aspect to it as well that we have to take into account, but have special locations numbered, but not title and then if your party wants to discover things you are giving them the ability to fill in next to those numbered slots these fun little locations and that kind of helps with the exploration side of of discovering a new city and seeing what's going on here i think that that's even a step too far um as far as your explanation and handing them things because now they're going to be like uh well we don't know what number seven is let's go over and see what number seven might be and now you're just filling in blanks but slower what i would say okay yeah. what i would say is here's kind of a geographical map none of the things are filled in, are filled in yet here is a uh bird's eye view map of um of the city at the base level here is the west cliff face here's the east cliff face um and as you guys are wandering around i want you guys to and we'll just fill this out i got a great big piece of paper for each one of these things and what do you guys want to do and say we want to go find the tavern like there are a number of taverns along this area you can see three to the left and two to the right and then i would put you know blue dots on the map which one are you interested in going to let them just go and as they make the decision you fill things in almost on a whim it's going to give your city a more organic feel and they're going to be able to say, well, we need to go to the stables because we came on horses. They got confiscated. We need to go essentially to the impound lot and get them. Where's the impound lot? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you say, okay, well, that's probably close to where the, the courthouse and the jail is. Those are probably the only things you know for certain in the first place. And so you can put that down on the map. But if they don't think about that, then that'll never go on the map. You don't have to worry about it. This is not your opportunity to prep ahead of time. It is your opportunity to create these these maps that are blank and figure out what they want to discover. And as they keep exploring a city, fill in fill it in as you go. And if they say, you know, okay, I want to go down the left road and see what's down there. You can just say oh, it's residential. Or, hey, there seems to be a lot of storehouses down here. Or it's a lot of shops, uh, but it's all foodstuffs. Like, oh, okay, is there a butcher? And then, boop, there's a dot. You got a butcher, right? And so cool. that that's that's how I would let this play out. When the city fills up, then there's nothing else here. But I, I don't think you'd ever actually get it to completely fill up. Remember, you've got tunnels and stuff to go down into as well. There'd be a lot of residences, yep. a lot of community places. Maybe maybe the shops are outside because they want the, the people on the street and they want the fresh air come out to the marketplace, right? But, but I think that for the most part... Um, for the most part, you'd be able to fill in what's happening at the at the base level, and there would be signs 
I can just imagine this place. There are signs everywhere on the cliff faces. Yeah, okay. I, I was thinking that, like, districts were labeled by, like, large banner that just kind of hung off all the bridges in, in different spots. But, yeah, I, I, I could see literal signage. No, it, well, there'd be literal signage, but there'd also be, like, you walk into the cult of the Kraken. The Kraken cult would not be in the desert. But let's say for a second it is, because the first thing came up off the top of my head. The cult of the Kraken. You would go and you, and you would be, you would know that you are in that district. You just happen to be in the fish district. Again, you're not going to have a fish district in the desert. But here we are. I'm speaking, and these are the words I'm saying. So, um, but you would I don't see- know. I, 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 I do want to say, you could have a cult of the Kraken here. It's just a C R A C K because you're in a chasm. You're in a, a cavern. Nobody, you're in a uh, no, nobody canyon. thinks you're funny and nobody likes you. And you make me mad. I think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you would have the cult of the kraken, and and the signage on the wall would not nece- not necessarily be like, oh, come by discount prices over here or whatever. Here's the blacksmith. It would be all praise he who slumbers beneath the waves. Right, and you would see propaganda and billboards and oh that's so much and fun graffiti all over the place right each district has its unique little like voice to it that you are yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah i'm starting to like the jingling city more and more as we as we do this and it's gonna it's gonna end up in one of my future campaigns definitely how long are we planning on the group to be in the jingling city uh i think that we've got a lot of stuff in tier two where we're gonna be dealing with the underdark flooding into the world where we're gonna spend some time in the jingling city just based on our yeah. initial plan. So I don't mind putting this time and effort into it. I would honestly put a whole lot less effort in and therefore have a smaller population if this was going to be a very temporary thing that lasts a third of a session or even two sessions never to be returned to again. Yeah. I'm going to put less effort into this. This is going to be one of our big um, locations. This is a set piece, fantastical location. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, we, we really are going to spend some time developing this the same way that we spent some time kind of figuring out what does uh, what sandspit looks like as well yeah the difference is of course sandspit was more mundane it was not a fantastical setting because they were getting an introduction to the world and the politics they don't need more crazy shit and that's my problem with a lot of the campaign settings that are published in all tabletop role-playing games is yes it's really cool that you've got these awesome cities with all of these crazy factions that are going on in there it's too much for a new player to really wrap their brains around even if they yeah. are an experienced player but they've never been in this world before. They don't know this campaign setting. It's too much to hit them with all at once. There has to be a slow introduction. And then you can get as complicated as you want. As long as the interest is there, go nuts. But very slowly bring them in. And that way they have a status quo. They have a basis of information that when they go to new places, they will understand that that this is fantastical in comparison. Actually, I, I do want to say one little thing to add on top of that there. Um, to kind of give another way of thinking about it, there is a, a concept in comedy called The Straight Man. We've talked about it before on the re- regular podcast. It's the same thing when you're trying to establish a fantastical world. If you do not have something um, almost borderline mundane to balance the fantastic against, the fantastic will lose some of its uh, thrill. So you need to have the 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 straight man type of encounter, um, which for us was the city of Sandspit. It's more mundane. It's more real um, to give the fantastical a little bit more weight, like the jingling city and the metropolis and the lighthouse and other things in our campaign that we have planned down the down the road. 
Okay, Adam, it's it, it's that time that uh, you and I both love so much. We have uh, three fully time realized dynamic. Oh, okay. uh, I mean, no, that's that's later. That's after the recording. We have three fully realized dynamic encounters inside of this fantastical city. Um, remember, in our plot for our campaign, um, our party is going to be trying to root out uh, Lachlan's lot, and as well as try to figure out a little bit of the strangeness and the culture of this new town that they're in. So let's grab our dice, let's roll initiative, and uh, let's kind of give out these uh, encounters. Sure, just one thing that I wanted to bring up really quickly before we roll dice is that... Yes? We've decided <laughs> to have uh, Lachlan's lot um, be rooted out in a strange city because it's a great opportunity for us to explore a city, but it's also a great opportunity for us to have Lachlan's lot have the upper hand for a little while because the rest of the city has turned against them in Sandspit. So they're going now to neutral territory. What we're doing is we're expanding our influence and we're heading back to where they're comfortable. They're not totally comfortable because they're still in hiding, but they're more comfortable than they would be in, in Sandspit. We don't have the resources here to go find them. So you see every decision that we make where we're going from one session to the next has a couple of different levels to it. We're not just asking why here, we're asking why here now and how are we acting when we get here. All right, I've said my piece. Would you like to roll dice? Yeah, let's do it. I got a nine. I got a 19. Of course you did. And I'm very happy about it. First of all, I think that is really straightforward. We need some downtime. We just need some downtime to, to get the uh, idea of, of what's going on. Where are we? What's happening? I want to go talk to this person. I want to go talk to that person. You get single single roles, but many, many uh, different roles. It's not a skill challenge to have success or failure. It's just roll perception to see what's down to the left. Roll insight when talking to this guy. All right, I want to go. I want to go talk to the local blacksmith. All right, what do you, what information do you want? And instead of going through a beat by beat role play, we're back to this downtime mechanic again, where you're you're waiting for them to roll to see what very basic information you give them before you move on to the next person around the table. When you are in a new city. It's a good opportunity for the priest to say, all right, I'm going to go to the temple and see what's up over there. And you can say, okay, that's great. Put a pin in that. That's a role playing thing we're going to get to in a minute. I wouldn't use yeah. those terms exactly, but you know, we, we know that that's an encounter coming up. So put a pin in that. That's great. What about you, the warrior? What are you doing? Oh, I just need to go get a drink. Okay. Well, there are a couple of taverns. Which one do you like? Well, what are they called? Well, role perception, right? And so this is this back and forth. There's, you see how there's no role playing there. You're just determining the outcome of things, but there's going to be a lot of it and it should last about as long as an encounter does right before you move on to the next basic role play. You circle back to the temple with the priest, right? So yeah. the trail has gone cold on Lachlan's lot. You are in a strange place and you have no, no obvious allies here. What do you do? What does the party do now? There'll be a certain amount of party politics, but mostly I think that they're going to make the decisions and spread out and look around. Keep in mind that um, your party as well has the majority of their interactions has been in a little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. We call that Calgary. <laughs> Sorry, Canada jokes. <laughs> Yay, Canada jokes. Um, they have now access to resources that they have never had access to before because they're in that much bigger of a city. So keep in mind with your downtime, they have access to a lot more than, than they may be used to at this point. 
So for my encounter here, um, the group is going to be disoriented. They're going to have uh, look around the city and not really know where to start. And we have a heavy focus on guilds here in in, in this campaign. So um, they're going to probably want to set up uh, a meeting with their local guild um, attachment and uh, or detachment and maybe kind of set up their foundations before they move out and really, really dive into this investigation into the hidden Lachlan's lot uh, leadership inside the city. So they're going to want to find um, and make their way through town to find the Black Ink Union Guildhouse. But the rumor is that the operator is an untrusting person and the party must prove their allegiance with some Merchant's Guild flavored puzzles in order to gain access to the Guild Hall. This is one of those situations where just having an insignia isn't going to matter. You, you you need to prove that you belong with the guild. And I would I would go and find some interesting puzzles or uh, have some even like coin related logic puzzles that they could like tact uh, tactically uh, or tactilely play with some like coin actual coin puzzles. Um, I love that you just can't say the words that they can touch. Yeah, right. So I can't quite touch the word. Uh, so anyways, the. This is what I would have. This is, of course, a a exploration to exploration encounter, which we don't get a whole lot of, where they have to find their way to this place, and then they have to find their way into this place once they once they finally find it. I like the idea too of there being a certain amount of paranoia in here because of all the cults and and whatnot that's going on. That you could have um, you could have the person say, "Oh, hey, welcome to the meeting room," and the meeting room goes on lockdown, and now you have an escape room scenario. Ooh, yeah, like that. Right. That's really cool. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll let you in. We'll let you in. Yeah, that's not a problem. Hey, welcome to welcome to the this detachment here. Uh, this is local six six six, and we're gonna close the doors. <laughs> and and you know, then there's all your exploration exploration. You know, they even have little um, escape room games that you can buy and you can play like at home with your friends. If you if you want to spice up D and D, bring in other games to to represent and be a metaphor for how well they do um in other or in aspects in the game yeah that's one thing that we literally did in one of my campaigns one time is we need to find out how many uh npcs would live and get rescued so we went and did a literal escape room and depending on how quickly we did or how badly we failed that would determine how many npcs lived in game and that yeah. that added a real level of, of stress and pressure. And it was a lot of fun. So I really like this. this that, that's a good one. Another good one for specifically this example. And I think we've done this before, but playing like House on Haunted Hill um, and those type of games uh, to really inject some additional flavor in as well. So if you're trying to like get out of a house, playing House on Haunted Hill is a great board game to play. And that's your evening and it kind of breaks the... the um, I don't want to say monotony, but but it it, it breaks the pattern of uh, of just meeting every week for D and D. It still matters to your story. It still matters to your plot, but it's a different system to play. All right. So my second one is uh, going to be a combat to role playing, and this is pretty straightforward. A group of ruffians jump the party in their room at the tavern, or they manage to get into the guild house, right where your guys are staying. They are able to actually get in there when they shouldn't be. This is why the paranoia is so high in here. This is, there's a different feel. There's a danger to this city. And after a short fight, when your guys are out of their armor, they're going to be up against the wall. 
They're fighting back and forth. It's going to turn out that these ruffians, these people, are actually another guild, and they're looking for Lachlan's Lot as well. And they heard that there were a bunch of people that came in. There was a big fight between Lachlan's Lot and some unknown group outside, and then they got your descriptions. Their info was bad, and they thought you guys were Lachlan's Lot, posing as members of the Black Ink Union, posing as merchants. And so this is going to be a fight where the NPCs, where the monsters actually stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not Lachlan's Lot? Are we wrong? (laughs) And they're actually going to give you some sort of, they're going to give the party some sort of like, some sort of apology. Look, this is our big fault. Like This is our fault in a big way. Here's all of our information about Lachlan's Lot and where they've gone here. And so they, maybe they can hand them a puzzle, right? Or maybe they can give them uh, uh, some sort of magic item that'll help them see invisible things, right? If they're very, very close to them and they concentrate for a minute. Stuff like that, right? We know that Lachlan's Lot likes to use this kind of tactic. Here's a mundane magic item that is going to be able to help. And so I really like the idea of uh, of this fight them getting jumped and you know how much a DD party hates getting ambushed yep but then it turns into something positive so I, I or it has a potential to if the warrior would just put his axe down <laughs> for my next encounter we have a role-playing to role-playing encounter and this is when i really want to start in, um turning the town towards helping the players and the and the and the players uh, goals here uh, the rumors for the rumors about what the party has done in Sandspit have finally started to flood their way back into town and as such the town council is going to call for a um, impromptu meeting with the group to figure out if maybe there's uh, something that they could do maybe even to give the group a mission but in the middle of this meeting as you're meeting the the, the town council which I would have as almost a religious council you know figureheads from each religious order that help run this town um um maybe even figureheads from the guilds as well that are that are uh you know really entrenched in the city in the city um are all part of this town council and as they're meeting the party and and uh the party's getting to meet who this uh who the town leadership is one of the town leaders uh, uh an archmage of some sort is going to burst in mid conversation mid town council meeting he's running late but he drunkenly interrupts uh, the meeting to have several guards uh with him who are seeking to get the party arrested because he's got some misinformation that has been spreading about the group as well. So this is what we're talking about. There are a number of new guilds. You can go back and listen to the guild episode. There are new factions. We talk a lot about the different kinds of factions at the beginning of the guild episode as well. And there's poor information, right? You are consistently having to defend yourself and and establish yourself again in this city. And hopefully by the end of the, of the session, you're able to, well, by you, I mean the party. Um, the party is able to uh, get a foot hold and know where they stand now i gotta ask dan it we know we talked about this in the big bad evil guy episode we know that we've got a mage who's being controlled by an imp and they're coming as a as a the end of tier one villain yeah is that who this guy is that's who this guy is i i would say that uh depending on how we want to play it he could either end up on the side of the players or i i uh, which is kind of the way I would like to do it and then subvert that to have him be the big bad evil guy at the end or just have him be antagonistic the entire time and have him be um, trying politically to undermine what our group has tried to build every step of the way until at the end of tier one, we're fighting this guy. This this is going to be our big bad evil guy and we're finally getting a chance to introduce him. So I would definitely 
add a little bit of gravitas to this, add a little bit of uh, weight to this meeting. Now, um, my last one is going to be a uh, role-playing to combat. And I like the idea of there being a contact that comes up to them and says, hey, I hear you guys are looking for Lachlan's lot. I've got a bit of an in. So you can see rumors are starting to spread. You've established yourself. Your word is getting out now. And they said, and Lachlan's lot must know that you're looking for them, right? And and the guy says, look, I know where where one of them is. And I, I could take you there. But it's kind of through through the back channels. And he takes you down into these tunnels. Maybe it's a sewer system or maybe it's an old mine shaft or, or something. But he takes you down into these tunnels and it's it's a maze down here. It's like a labyrinth. And he gets you down there and then all of a sudden one other person steps out and it's just, just the two of them. But they're both holding daggers and they look at you, they look at the, at the party and they say, Look, you guys are way too trusting. And we love it when new people come into this city because you guys are such idiots, such rubes. <laughs> if you ever want to see daylight again... We're going to need 500 gold pieces up front. This is extortion. And there will be a little bit of, uh, of, um, or sorry, I said earlier, this is role play to combat. Um, no, this is role play to exploration because your party is not going to be able to, to do this. no party I've ever known has ever said, oh, okay, we'll pay the bribe then. Like what we'll pay the extortion. We'll pay the blackmailing. So, um, like I really, really like the idea of them saying, no, screw you. And then having to remember, because when you were describing this, they didn't realize that they were screwed, right? You say, yeah, you, you guys, he takes you down, he does a couple of lefts, then there's a right, you go straight for a while, then down, and there's this room with like a like a, a blue geode in the corner, and then there are two rights after that, a left and another right, and then you come into this cavern. And they think it's flavor text, but now they got to remember what you just said, right? And they've got to explore and and find their own footprints and figure out how to get back to the surface. Right. And there are just way too many um, crossroads and opportunities to get lost down here. So for my final encounter here, I really wanted to reinforce the idea that the, there's a strange uh, culture of cult like activity in this town. And I would I would have your players experience a little bit with some minor encounters here or there, like seeing some hooded figures walking down, chanting with weird iconography on them or, or something like that. The weird minor encounters to build this up, but for this like dynamic encounter, your party's going to stumble upon several hooded cult-like figures absolutely beating like a street urchin or 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 a homeless man or or someone who looks down on their luck in like one of these small cave like recesses that i described before the party is drawn in with like this no witnesses frame of mind like one of the cult members sees the party snooping on them and through magical means like i don't know a dim door or something gets behind the party and forces them into this combat or into this social situation whatever um when this urchin that was uh supposedly getting beat up jumps up fine steals an item of importance from the party and books it um this is going to be a minor street level chase where you are now exploring, uh, you're, you're playing snakes and ladders almost. You're, you're exploring how to move around a city with haste when everything is ladders and bridges. And there is a massive gap and, and uh, plummeting cliff that you are walking over. Like if you make a misstep, you fall to your doom. So you got to be careful, but you also got to get back this item from this guy. 
Um, and I wouldn't make it that difficult. I, I the, Again, this is within the bounds of an encounter. This, sorry, this might be a really good opportunity for you to explore some of those chase mechanics that we were talking about in the last episode. Yep. Right? Uh, that are kind of, we, we said small map level of, of chase mechanics because you are going to go theater mine for uh, for a large part of the city as it sprawls out you can end up in different districts and there will be different challenges in each places and then maybe you have to jump from one bridge to another and like i, I really like this as spiraling out to to suddenly become a chase as you hunt them down um as opposed yeah. to it just being like a skill challenge and i mean the end goal of all this is going to be that uh lachlan's lot knows that your party is in town and has hired several of these cults or cults-like gangs, which is what this is. It's it's more a gang than a cult to attack and stumble your party. So this this was this entire thing was engineered. You're going to find this out. The goal of this entire encounter is to find out that Lachlan's lot is paying groups to take you guys out within the town. All right, Adam, any quick little addition summaries here? I mean, we, we've really reinforced this new fantastical city. It's weird cults. It's weird geography with, you know, stranding our party in the sewers for an extended period of time. Um, we've, we've even dipped our toes into the politics of this thing, seeing this council of, of um, religious figureheads and guild figureheads, giving our players a, a taste of what this guild culture is feels like so anything else you want to add before we move on here one of the things to really drive home the difference between a a familiar home base and a new city is uh the level of ever-present danger we've gone out of our way in sandspit to show that those the common regular street level danger is past everyone sees you as heroes there may be the odd assassin that comes in for you, right? Or a person that you've pissed off that you don't get along with. But you can walk the streets safely. In a new place, that might be a little bit more difficult. It should be more difficult when you're getting your bearings until you make a name for yourself. And granted, in time, your reputation will catch up. I would say that within a week of being here, people know that you guys are the heroes of, of Sandspit. They know that you are local ho uh, folk heroes the next town over. Yeah. But if you don't do anything to prove it, that's not going to hold water. So there should be an increased level of danger. And, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that things are not always what they seem, right? Because it's just your party. And I guess <laughs> I guess that one half-orc Oster that, that has been bumbling around with them now. Oh, yeah. Probably came on that chase with them. So there's there's going to be a handful. Six, maybe, maybe seven if there's another NPC around. There are people around here. Remember when we uh, talked about different guild members and NPCs Yep. as well? Maybe we introduce one of those um, back from the guild episode. We introduce one of those in this new chapter house. Make a new friend. But the the allies and the enemies um, should not be balanced. There should be more enemies and foes and dangers than allies, at least at first, in a strange place. So now that we have our bearings in this strange town, it's time to find a tavern and rest. This will let us find new inspiration in a new setting. Tune in next week when we start to lay the groundwork for unreliable allies. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. And all of our episodes and a big fancy donate button are available on <laughs> www.itsamimic.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. Or is he? And I will be back alone <laughs> next week. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, fine. Sorry. I can't. I don't, I don't have any other words. It just sounded weird. Can you just do it again, please? <laughs> we're expecting a well-rounded party, so we're designing... A, fuck, now how I'm in my head about it. Yeah, no, don't... Look, it's my ears, not your mouth. Just can you say it again so that I can, I can hit my flow? Maybe your sex tape. <laughs> uh. Okay, bye.